Good morning. Happy Saturday. I believe it's Saturday. It is a August, almost said April, August 5th, 2023. I'm Greg. Welcome to the Daily Bible Wrap-Up, where I go over the readings from our daily reading. Doing the Bible in one year with Nikki Gumbel. The link to that reading plan is in the show notes and in the podcast notes. If you want to follow along, just jump right in. Don't worry if you're just starting it now. We'll do this again starting in Genesis and January of next year. So haven't quite figured out which reading plan it'll be for next year, but uh, best time to start is now. Because you can always, always, always do it again. Our readings for today that we're going to go through. Now, I don't read the entire reading. I just take little snippets that mean something to me or that points up the story. I'll summarize some of it. And then I'll also sometimes have some commentary related to today's world and what we face and how what we read from thousands of years ago is still quite relevant today. Hadn't changed. So the readings for today that we're going to go through is Psalm 91, uh, verse 1 through 8, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 2, 5, 1 Chronicles 19 through 22, 1. So we'll start in Psalm 91. I'm going to read you verse 2. Quote this, I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust him. Now, this psalm goes on to list examples of when to trust God, but this verse is all about our actions and our simplicity of faith. Like that term, simplicity of faith. Trusting God, or as our currency says, in God we trust, though this is not the biblical verse used to reference the addition of such on currency in the 1860s and then solidified by an act of Congress in 1956. And actually, that references no verses in the Bible. I didn't know that until I looked that up. Thank you, Chat GPT. But it is so simple. That's all we must do. Trust the Creator. He knows what is best in the long run. So long as we stay faithful to God, He will never leave us. Old Testament, rather New Testament, we are in 1 Corinthians 1, 18-31. Verse 18 is a powerful and statement and really needs to be understood for application to attributes of today's society's view on faith. Think about it. Here's the verse. The message on the cross, rather the message of the cross, is foolish for those who are headed for destruction. But we, who are being saved, know it is the very power of God. Those who do not begin from a foundation of faith can never understand the enormity of the meaning of Jesus dying on the cross. It's just not possible. For them, it is a mythology, a story, a crutch for people sometimes they'll describe it, and no amount of talking, preaching, or witnessing will change their opinion, their views. They have to have an element of faith to begin with. From where then the understanding grows from? We who are in faith understand that. That's the secret sauce, except for that it's not secret. It is spelled out time and time again in the Bible. Book's been around for a while. Best-selling book in the history of mankind. But for those who read it with an open heart, if you're going to read the Bible looking for proof and with an air uh, approach of skepticism, 
may or may not work for you. It, it worked for Lee Strobel, convinced him. If you don't know who Lee Strobel is, I'll leave it to you to look him up. Fascinating book that he wrote. Good speaker as well. Verse 23, quote, so when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it is all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ and the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Paul then reminds them, getting back to the problem of division, that verse 30 here, quote, God has united you with Christ Jesus, end quote. Now, in 1 Corinthians 2, Paul notes he purposefully did not use human wisdom when preaching to them. Rather, he relied on the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And we should look at this as an example. We, too, should pray for that when forced or faced with potential opportunity to discuss our faith, coupled with uncertainty of how to do so effectively, because you want to take advantage of that opportunity and not mess it up. Open your heart, open your mind, ask the Spirit for guidance, and the Spirit will guide. Old Testament, we pick up the story in 1 Chronicles 19, and it continues with a summary of the history of David, beginning with his overture of peace to King Hanun of the Ammonites. Now that was met with shaming David's ambassadors. So this did nothing to improve relationships. It actually soured them. And as a result of that humiliation, David grew angry, as you can probably imagine. Now the Ammonites saw this and prepared for battle. And then so did David. Joab, using a split formation, two fronts, one for the Ammonites and one for the Arameans that the Ammonites had hired to help them, was victorious. The enemies ran in fear, both groups. There was a battle with the Arameans, which they lost. And after that, the Arameans, they said, we're not going to help you anymore. We're done helping the Ammonites. These Israelis, the Israelites, they're, they're too powerful. We don't want to deal with them. Can't pay us enough. First uh, Chronicles 20 begins with successful attacks against the Ammonites still taking the king's crown, 75 pounds. Mentioned this beforehand in the story of David, because I think I remember saying, think about putting a 75-pound crown on your head. Yikes. Be worried about my neck snapping. And also plundered Rabbah. Then war with the Philistine giants broke out. Quote, David and his warriors killed them. First Chronicle 21 has David taking a census due to the influence of Satan. I discussed this in Kings, finding it difficult then and now to understand why taking a census was evil, but concluding that it likely showed a lack of faith in God to protect, because that's probably the reason why David was taking the census. He wanted to make sure that he was secure enough with the forces he had. I guess an analogy might be like overly counting your money and trying to find security from the amount of bills you have in your safe or in your wallet or in your drawer or in your glass jar buried outside in the backyard. Yeah, I know you've got that. 
probably a pretty smart thing to do nowadays. But I digress. David is judged by God for this sin, given three choices of punishment, three years of famine, three months of war, or three days of severe plague, and David chose the latter. That resulted in 70,000 deaths. Now the angel of the Lord instructs David to build an altar as part of David's repentance. And so David bought the threshing floor from Aruna, Aruna, Aruba, Jamaica, sorry, for a fair price. And David did not want to exploit a situation designed for repentance, obviously. That would not look good. Try to buy something at a cutthroat rate when you're trying to do something to honor God. That doesn't work that way. Now, in 1 Chronicles 22, verse 1, which is the last reading for today, it just simply states that that location, the threshing room floor, is the location for the temple. And somehow or another, all the times that I have read the Bible through, I either knew that and forgot it, or it just went over my head. That's it for today. I hope you have a wonderful day. Hope that your weekend is going well. Many blessings your way and walk by the Spirit today. Take care.